Welcome to the Grit and Grace space. Come along as we explore experiences, cultivate community, and grow our appetite for adventure. Here we go. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Grit and Grace space. I am so over the moon excited to share this discussion I had with Audrey Sheldon. Audrey and I are both students in our executive MBA program at Emory, and she's just one of those lights that is so natural to gravitate towards, and I'm certain you all understand what I mean by that as you listen to the episode. She is such a multifaceted, incredible woman, and it was such an honor to sit down and share some time with her today. There are a few other podcasts and recordings that I reference throughout this podcast. Those are linked in the show notes here for you to check out and learn more about and all of the wonderful pieces of her life. And so Without further ado, we will get to the good stuff. Welcome to the Great and Grace Space. We are joined today with Audrey. Audrey and I met. She is a fellow student with me in our executive MBA program. And it has just been like a shining light and a sea of darkness to get to connect. And it's so odd. Everybody asks me, oh, like, is it online? Do you really like, are you really getting out of it? Like the same sort of substance that you would be it like an in-person and like you have no idea how much we're getting out of it because I feel like we're just in it together and the live interactions that we have every night for class like I know you guys I don't like we might not have high-fived or shaken hands in the last eight months but we know each other very deeply (laughs) oh yeah yeah (laughs) definitely this is an experience this is a bonding experience yes like trauma bonding (laughs) Oh boy. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's good stuff. It's definitely expanding us. There's no question about that. So, (laughs) yes. And so Audrey had, I guess during class or maybe in some breakout sessions, um, just like mentioned some things that sort of sparked my interest and like had that like underlying connection and then got to know her a little bit more and listened to some podcasts and live sessions she has had with other folks in her community and I asked her to come on the podcast and so we'll get to know Audrey um, a little bit more with this audience and go a little bit deeper into some of the things that you might have covered so I'll make sure to link those in the notes for this podcast so people can see more about you as well. That's amazing. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to have an opportunity to have a conversation and see what you're interested in hearing about. And so I'm excited. So I guess before we, I think you're the same as I am where I'm like, cannot stand surface level. Let's like deep dive 
get into the grit, like into the guts of things. But for context, can you introduce yourself a little bit for the audience before we deep dive? Absolutely. So my name is Audrey McNamara Sheldon Ortiz. And for the last 25 years, I have been cultivating a healing facilitation practice And to kind of translate that, what that means is I've been teaching yoga for the last 20 years, practicing for much longer than that, doing energy work, indigenously inspired types of healing work that might fit under uh, the guides of a a shamanic practice, uh, Reiki, um, earth wisdom, divine feminine work, group work. I mean, you name it from yoga teacher trainings to Reiki certifications, you name it. That's what I've essentially been doing for a really long time. And in conjunction with that, I'm also an entrepreneur because I've had my own business since 2009. And yeah, so essentially that's, yeah, that's what I've been doing for the last 25 years. So I guess starting 25 years ago, who was that Audrey then and how did she become like, how did she dip her toe into what has grown and expanded since? Oh, this is such a good question. (laughs) Okay. So the way I like to tell this story is the Audrey then was basically like bull in a China shop. I was a hot mess in my 20s, a hot mess just in general, lots of energy, lots of creativity, lots of support from my family to be a free spirit, which I definitely am. But with that came carrying, you know, in my family, I come from a lineage that this type of energy really is prevalent in my family. So when I was younger, it looked like me kind of disturbing people a lot without meaning to, like really not understanding my, how my behavior and the way that I was in the world, like was really affecting people on a deep level. I was just sort of like running around doing whatever. But in retrospect, I realized like, wow, okay. You know, at some point I sort of came to and was like, there is one common denominator in this entire equation. (laughs) That's an issue. (laughs) And that is me. <laughs> I was like, wow, okay, so I can try to like pawn this off on other people that it's their issue, but it wasn't. And it just became really clear that I, you know, I just needed, I needed something. I needed some support, some help, some discipline, really, at the end of the day. I didn't know that's what I needed, but I needed discipline to uh, focus my guests, to bring my energy into some sort of alignment where I, could be successful in the world. And so, yeah, that's really, and I won't get into all the nitty gritty, but yeah, that's essentially what inspired me to, to make a shift. So was that first, like the first step in that direction, going to a yoga class or like experiencing some of the things that you teach now? Actually, no, because so I've been working with my gifts since I was a child. Like I've you know, without realizing it, you know, I've been channeling since I was a child. I didn't know that that's what I was doing. So I started doing yoga when I was like four. My first yoga class was when I was in preschool. And it's actually really funny. You know, that song like raindrops keep, you know, falling on your head. 
Yeah, I remember that song because I farted in class. I'm just going to be totally honest with you. That's my first yoga experience as a four-year-old in, in pre-K. Pre-K, I'm doing like plow and it's like raindrops are falling out. And there you go. So I never forgot that. <laughs> like, wow, okay, that's embarrassing. But I was a four-year-old, so who cares? You know, and anyways, I just always kind of knew, like once I got into my 20s and came to Greensboro, I revisited yoga. And it was at that point, I was probably 19 is when I started practicing a little bit here and there, but I didn't meet my teacher and really become serious, a serious practitioner until I was about 25, 26. Okay, so fairly quick transition then from like being a student to moving into that teaching space, it sounds like. Definitely. Yeah. I knew from the day that I walked into the Shala, which was the name of the, the school. So I went to a very traditional school in Raleigh, which does not exist anymore. Uh, It was called the North Carolina school of yoga. And anyways, it was a very traditional environment and yeah. So it was, yeah, it was interesting. It was very different. It was very, very different. So in any case, from that, I was very clear from, because I started in training. I didn't even take a class with my teacher. I just showed right up in teacher training. And as soon as I started, I already knew. I was like, I'm going to be teaching. My very first class was like full. And That's like, amazing. I just rented a room somewhere and was like, I'm teaching yoga and all these people showed up and I was like, oh, okay, well, all right, let's do this then. And from that moment forward, I was like, wow, this is amazing. You know what, how I feel when I'm teaching, I'm really loving the results that people are getting. So it was sort of my first step out into bringing my skills, talents and abilities forward. And that sort of speaks to the abundance and attraction that we've you and I have talked about one-on-one a little bit and that you've talked in some of the other I guess forums you've spoken at too so you mentioned in some of those other forums like the term the holy spirit of yoga which is a little bit above and beyond what like the traditional phrasing is being you know regular yoga or I'm going to the studio or whatever so to you what is the definition of the Holy Spirit of yoga and how does that contrast with what a regular person who goes on the uh, every Saturday might experience? That's a good question. So the best way for me to answer this and again you know just remembering too that my experience is not meant to be everyone's experience and my perspective is not meant to be everyone's perspective. So I want to say that out in front of everything so that I can just be very transparent and honest about my experience, you know, with it or whatever. So the holy science of yoga is the actual term for yoga. Like, so yoga is, it came out of India, right? Essentially it was developed in India. It's actually a shamanic practice of the indigenous people of India. So when it came West, it as it stayed here longer and longer and evolved and began to become what it is becoming in the West, right? As we understand it today, 
a lot of those very traditional pieces have been lost and it not lost. They're still there, but you have to go look for them. You know, you got to find teachers who have the experience and the, the background. And my, like I mentioned before, my lineage is extremely traditional. You can follow my lineage back to Swami Shivananda, who is one, considered one of the fathers of yoga. He sent many of his disciples, which is what they were called, you know, to the West to spread yoga all over, you know, from, you know, Swami Radha, you know, Radha to Satchidananda to Kaleshananda. There's all of these amazing yogis that came from his, you know, line. And my teacher is one of them. So I can literally follow my teacher to Sri Dharma Mitra, who's my Sat Guru, to Swami Kaleshananda, who's my Sat Sat Guru, and then Swami Shivananda. So it's very traditional lineage and a very traditional way of approaching it. And the formal sort of name of the type of yoga that I studied was Hatha Raja Yoga, which is uh, translated to the royal yoga. It's a very just traditional and very renunciate focused type of practice. So when you step into that space with that traditional, with, with all of the knowledge that you have from your experience beyond just maybe a 200 hour training or, you know, 500 hours is still fairly prestigious, but this sounds um, a little bit more intense, but maybe intentional is a different word. What does stepping into teaching a class look like for you? Like, how do you tap in and turn on to that session? That's a good question. Of course, what it looks like now and what it looked like when I started look extraordinarily different. But now my philosophy of teaching is basically that I, I call it, and I have any of my, any students that have studied with me that may hear this, they'll laugh because they'll have heard this before, but I would call my classes the magic carpet ride. <laughs> I'm like, everybody's going to come and sit down and then we're going to go on this journey together. And so basically the way I think about it is that every single student has an unconscious or conscious request for why they are there. I can't possibly know what that is. It could be they have a headache or, you know, they're feeling a little under the weather or they just are feeling very devotional that day and they, you know, or they just want to move their body or, you know, whatever it is, whatever has inspired them. But I can't possibly know what that is and it's not my place to know what it is. But what my job is and how I've been trained and how I've translated what I've learned into my current teaching approach is that I don't have a plan. I literally, every single time I teach, and I've been doing this literally for 20 years. <laughs> well, maybe not 20, maybe it's more like 18, because the first couple of years I was very obedient to my teacher's instructions of how to teach. And then I broke out of that. But basically, I sit down in front of the class, and as we center, I start to concentrate within the right side of the heart, the center of the chest, which is also in the yoga system associated with Anahata Chakra, which is the spiritual hearts associated with the color green. And it's really designed, well, the idea around it, the consciousness that the collective has agreed to around what this space is about 
is really going into our relationship with source. And people may use different words for that, whatever that means to them. And like in indigenous practices, some indigenous practices in North America, it's considered the seventh direction, the inward direction of communion with that which pervades behind all of creation. And so my training has taught me how to basically drop my personal identification and act as a conduit to receive psychic information and just so I have no idea what we're going to do before we do it and so there are times that I've been teaching and I've taught something I've never done before and I've learned to trust it implicitly because I would say at least 95 percent of the time and actually probably more, that one thing that I was like, why am I doing this? This is weird, you know? Like somebody will come to me and be like, I don't know how you knew, but that thing was the thing, you know? And it usually is like kind of profound. It's not like a little thing, it's like a big thing. So I get all this confirmation around the way that I've been teaching, if that helps to kind of explain it at all. Yeah, completely. I'm getting like goosebumps, just like imagining being in your class and knowing that that experience is shared by so many. That's so exciting. Um, it's fun. And, yeah. And it's a fun experience for everybody. You know, it's like, it's like you go in and then like time just stops. People will come out of some of my, like, I have one particular offering called Mahasadna, which is the, the great practice. It's a three, two and a half, three hour practice. And people will be like, oh no, that's a long time. I'm like, trust me, it's not. And they'll come and they'll be like, I can't believe I just practiced for three hours. I'm like, yeah, and you meditated for 45 minutes of it and you didn't even realize it. And they're like, you know, so it's super fun. <laughs> and that's part of getting into that flow state where you like time stops and just like beingness begins. So can you talk a little bit more about in your mind, constructs of time. I mean, you and I are both surrounded by folks in the corporate world constantly. And then outside of that, it, it feels to me, there's like a, a significant divide and sometimes between what we're all supposed to be doing and what the normal life might look like for somebody like us. So can you talk a little bit about the constructs of time and just breaking out of I don't know, that, that nine to five thought process. Oh, that's a big one. That's a good one. So I have not been a nine to fiver almost ever, almost ever. I am a person that, I don't know if you've picked up on this, but I am not a person that adheres to environments or to expectations or to constructs. I'm more of a person that comes in and kind of makes a, a bit of a kerfluffle and kind of like figures it out, makes it work for me and sort of, because I just, so as far as time construct goes, from my own personal experience, I, I've experienced that through dedicated, committed, long-term periods, not always necessarily forever every day, but like meditation, it has so Okay, so if we're talking like corporate finance, that kind of thing, we have a compounding interest that kind of happens, like there's a compounding benefit to meditating. So if you, you know, if you meditate for a week, you know, for five minutes, right, 
you're going to notice a subtle shift maybe, right? You keep that going. And it doesn't just like show up a little bit more. It'll start to show up so much more strongly how I am in relationship to what is going on around me. It shows me how my relationship to time, to expectations, to the like should one of my favorite things is there is no shoulding. I'm not interested in any of that. So it shows me that all of that stuff is really up to me as far as how I want to be in relationship to it. It's important that I maintain certain agreements so that I can function and be successful in the world. Super important. But I also balance that very much with this like, drop everything, go with the flow. So I like to think about it almost like time is a bit of a elastic construct that I can, depending on where I am within myself and how balanced I am, weaves in between all of the responsibilities and the things that I'm you know, personally committing myself to on purpose, intentfully. And so I weave it. And my life is the same way. It's like, I'm almost going backwards, you know, like I've never done any of the normal things. And anytime I try to, it never seems to work. It's just not for me. So, you know, I'm a fan of leaning into breaking the mold and if not just breaking it, but like, let's smash it and see if we can make something totally better and more suitable for everyone. And it seems like just learning more and more about you and your experience that that's only ever worked out for the best. Right. And so it's, you're a testament to letting go of that fear that everybody gets all me, I get all bottled up and worried about all of these little things. And in contrast, when I'm at headspace where everything is working out for me, everything's going to be just fine. Like things come to you out of nowhere and you're like, wait a second. All I had to do is stop worrying. It's like you silly little goose, but it is so challenging to let go of that. And a lot of that, what you spoke about is putting that ego aside. So I guess going back to the meditation component of it, what does your meditation practice look like now? And like, what did it look like? How to, how has it gotten to where it is today? That's another great question. So I would like to say it's sort of like stepping into this subject. One of the keys to what you're talking about in my personal experience is learning to trust myself implicitly. Not like that sounds very like, oh, so you trust yourself implicitly. No, it's a, it's a practice. It's a daily practice that again has compounding benefits right? That dropping and, and just also know for the record to be totally transparent, I fit into the 99 percentile of anxiety. So process that when you think about how I've lived my life and I have extremely severe ADHD. So as, and I've only learned this since I've come into grad school. So at 47, I am learning for the first time in my entire life that I have these things that have been underlying my entire experience without any identification. I just thought, oh, well, I don't know what I thought. But so when I look back over my life, I realize that 
meditation, yoga, spiritual work. Yes, I was definitely tapping into all of my gifts, talents, and abilities because those two pieces, the symptoms of that, because I don't identify with those things. They don't limit me. They're just one way that the world describes some of the tendencies that I have. To me, it's very much about being a creative human and being tapped into that. And when when I operate from that place, yeah, it kind of doesn't fit with the rest of what's going on in the world. So to segue from that, I believe that my meditation practice, it has been one of the keys to me managing the symptoms around all these things, as well as moving my body and being creative and, you know, all this stuff. So my meditation practice has really evolved over time and it absolutely meets me wherever it is I'm at at any given moment. I have long since given up the dogmatic belief that if I'm not meditating every single day, then I'm not meditating. I personally don't believe that, but it's easy for me to say that because I have had a disciplined practice at times for such a long duration. I think really the longest uninterrupted meditation period, which I mean, like I didn't miss one day, right, was um, under 200 days where I didn't miss a day. Now I don't keep track. Now it doesn't matter. And now my meditation practice, sometimes it looks like meditation, like what you would think. I'm sitting, I'm following my breath, I'm doing whatever, right? But a lot of times now my meditation practice is brought into the other areas that I'm looking to develop. So to be totally honest with you, my meditation practice right now, a lot of the time is doing schoolwork. And yoga and meditation is what I do right before I go to bed to help my body and my mind integrate everything that's going on, right? But it's not a huge amount of time necessarily. So it's very pliable for me. I don't look at meditation only being what you think of as traditional. Yes, I think that wisdom comes from, like you use the word discipline several times. And I think that it's, it's kind of like building that meditation muscle. And so now it looks very ebb and flow and flexible because you have that muscle strengthened and it's not going anywhere because you're still strengthening it. You're just doing it differently. You're just modifying to what you need in the moment now. So how, I guess, would you, somebody who has never meditated before, like, would you recommend they go through that discipline practice or find something that works for them? Like how would someone get started then? Here's the thing, you know, it really depends on the person. Like, sure, a blanket prescription, everybody can benefit from sitting, observing their breath, and taking a minute. I mean, it's not going to hurt you. (laughs) If anything, it's only going to help. But it is true that I don't believe that that's the only way to experience it. So a lot of times with students or clients that I'm working with in this arena, right, I'll ask them, do you have a hobby or do you have something that you could tell me that like you go into still point, like you become so absorbed and so focused that everything else disappears and inevitably they usually have something, you know, even if it's watching TV. I mean, at the end of the day, like the entire world, like those who have access to that are meditating every day on whatever it is that they're watching, right? Which is a little terrifying if you think about it, depending on what it is that we're exposing ourselves to, right? So, 
<laughs> so I truly believe it, wherever anyone is, it's letting go of what the idea of what they think meditation is about. So I would probably find out like, what's your temperament? Are you super active? Are you, do you tend to be more calm? Like what are the things, you know, I would get a little bit of information about that first. And then I would offer some suggestions that might help them to find their own way with it. You know, like start taking nature walks at least three to five times a week, you know, and that is meditation especially depending on how you approach it. The intent is more important than the form. And that's so encouraging, especially breaking down what everybody holds in their mind of like what meditation is. And that's such a huge barrier to get over because I don't have five minutes in the day to sit down or whatever. Breaking down that construct of what I'll say the last like three years has become more popular in terms of what is meditation, breaking that down and saying, look, like you do it every day. It's about the intentionality of, Hey, I'm meditating right now. And then seeing being, becoming more observant and intentional in that space, then it grows from there. It sounds like. Yeah. In my opinion. Yes. But you know, again, every person is different for me. I needed that intense discipline, but a part of that was because of, at least in my personal story, right. And that's really all it is, is my personal story and how I tell it, but it is a really pivotal part of me unlocking the essence of my gifts, talents, and abilities to be able to bring them forward and like really be of service first and foremost to myself, because that's always the case, regardless of what anybody, in my opinion, of what I say or what other people say, first and foremost, it's always for me, you know, I shouldn't be doing anything I don't want to do. Right. But ultimately it did give me the ability to hold space and facilitate a container for people um, that I have seen results from that have been very confirming that the time that I spent in that discipline was extremely well spent. So every person's path and in the yoga system, they call it Dharma. And I, I believe they call it that in, in some of the Buddhist traditions, which I'm not as, you know, academically or, you know, practice wise educated in. But yeah, like it's my dharma, you know, this is part of who I am in the world as I show up as a healing facilitator, someone who holds space, not only for myself, but for others, so that they can find their way home to themselves, ultimately. I love that. Can you speak, you mentioned, I'm going to try to transition into like a discussion about self-love, unconditional self-love. You brought that up. And if and one of the, I think it was the other podcast that, that you recorded and, and sent to me. And you talked just now about not doing anything that you don't want to do. And I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's not that you're only doing what you want to do. You have the wisdom and knowing of what is best for you and your community. And like the bubbles get bigger and bigger. Um, so how have you come to find that unconditional self-love and does it ever ebb and flow? And how do you get, get back to yourself when it does veer off? Yeah, that's a good one too. So 
I think it has come in phases. What I have learned is that through, again, from my experience, the most important quality that I have had to cultivate in order to support it is courage. Because in my paradigm, in my story, the way I tell it, the way I experience it, I had to learn to listen. I needed to clean my channel. Like, it's sort of like when I very first started way back, you know, years and years ago, it was like I had dirty plumbing. You know, there was just a lot of junk in the pipes I had picked up all along the way. Who knows? Whatever, you know, and it was a mess in there. And over many, 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 many years of steady, consistent, intentful practice and focus and incredible facilitation and guidance from, you know, powerhouse teachers and facilitators to help me learn the way, right? That was the number one piece was starting to really trust that voice inside that was saying to me, you know, when you don't feel good, when something's off, you need to really listen to it because my temperament and my tendency and from the lineage, and I don't mean the yoga lineage, my blood lineage, my family lineage that I come from, there's a tendency for being so good natured it's really not a good thing, you know? So how does one balance this desire to always be generous and try to extend and make things nice for other people and not get destroyed in the process? And that's ultimately what I had to learn is that balance of like, yes, I definitely get, oh, I mean, you can't ever, just for the record, you really can't ever get away from yourself. It, it, you're never going to be disconnected from, you know, contrary to popular belief, like, oh, I feel so, you know, disconnected from myself. It's impossible. It's impossible. You're constantly connected. It's just what is the what is the lens that I'm looking through and what is what is it that's obscuring my view? It, it's no different than having dirty windows on your house. Nothing's different outside. It's the same thing that's been going on. Like it might be sunny, might be rainy, like those pieces I can't control. But what I can control is what's going on through which the lens that I'm receiving or being able to see and experience that outside of there, right? So I think that learning how to listen, learning how to receive the messages that I don't always want to hear, which have always been the most powerful. They're usually indicators that I have to make a major change. And those have been the hardest, but dedicating myself to it, that truly has been, you know, as you said earlier, like, it seems like it's worked out for you and it has. And I believe that it's because it's like, I have this amazing protection because I'm absolutely, to the very best of my ability, right? I'm a human, of course, it's not perfect. It never, it's never going to be. But I really make it a priority in my life to listen, receive, process, integrate, and act. 
So going one step deeper, can you give like a recent example of receiving, receiving that guidance and saying, no, no, ma'am. And, but really having to take a step back and go through that process you just described. Yeah. (laughs) Give me a second to just sort of think through my examples because they're all a little, Okay, they're a little, I want to say dicey or racy or a little, let's just say, okay, let me replace that with, I'll feel very like exposed, but I'm going to do that because I think it's important. And I haven't told this story in a long time. And so I'm going to tell it because I think it's important. And one of the things that I've learned is being 100% authentic and just like owning my story is a huge part of fully stepping into trusting myself, right? So the first time that I really identified, I mean, I've felt it before this, but this was the first time that it really like came down on me like a ton of bricks. I have actually, I'm married now, but I was married once before. And this was a long time ago. I was like, it was right when I was going through teacher training, which is for the record, a terrible time to decide to get married because there's a lot shifting around. I would never not do it because that was an amazing experience and he was a wonderful partner and our divorce was not his fault. (laughs) Like he didn't do anything wrong. He was fine, you know, but I received a message and I was receiving messages through a nice chunk at the end of our relationship that it was not the end like that it I would I might as well enjoy it because it things were going to change and I was like "Hmm, okay so anyways shortly after like I started receiving those messages I met someone who ended up becoming like one of my very best friends but we actually had like this really strong connection and I received from spirit like this person is a very important person to you And you're going to have to negotiate some things to create space for that relationship to happen. And inevitably, I had to basically go through this whole experience where I had to go to my husband and be like, I'm having this experience where I'm feeling this kind of way and I don't know what to do. This is not what I was expecting. So I just had to be totally honest. I had to be honest with him. I had to be honest with the person that was coming into the picture that I was receiving this about and like walk that line in integrity the best way I could, because, you know, that was not expected at all. And it took us, us a year. We actually collaborated on the whole thing. I totally put it out on on the table. They collaborated, we collaborated. And then one day I received the next piece of information that it was time to shift. And so I did. And I left my husband and I created space for that other relationship to take on a different, you know, expression. And it changed my entire life. It was one of the most terrifying. And on the surface, people thought I was crazy. I went from basically being a kept housewife. I mean, literally, I still worked, but I didn't have to. I didn't have to do anything to, let's just say, not at all. 
but it wasn't about any of that. It was definitely an initiatory experience. And what I learned from that next relationship and my ex-husband and I are still on good terms and, you know, so it was wild. So when I talk about courage, I'm talking about major courage with major decisions. And what I've learned from that is that, and I'm still learning this, is that I grow really fast. And sometimes that means based on my dharma and how I've decided to, you know, orient myself as far as to what I'm committed to in the world, being obedient to the messages that I receive is like number one. And boy, that came out of nowhere. And what an initiated was something I never could have imagined on every level, fabulous and terrifying all at the same time. So then was there, like, how do you navigate that emotional knowing and conviction with like the other aspects of your emotion where I imagine there might be, you know, a little bit of heartbreak and longing and you're splitting yourself away from something, whether it be this scenario or others, you're splitting yourself away from what you know and where you like the guidance you've had to get to that place to now go do something else. And so how do you sort of navigate that and settle those waters in that obedience? That's a really good question. I haven't fully, I I don't have a complete answer for you yet. I'm still in process. I mean, I really am. It is truly like in the yoga system, they talk about, there's a, one of you know, the foundational teachings are based on the yamas and the niyamas. These are like the internal practices and the external practices of character, discipline, all these different things, right? So in the second set of disciplines, there's something called svadhyaya, which is self-study, study of the self. This fits into that for me. I'm a person that seems to always be rubbing up against and having friction with the relationship between the traditional, the old paradigm and the new paradigm. I come from a family where my parents were married for 50 some years, you know, until my father passed. So there's this very traditional Feel, but they were both what I like to call feral. They were wild, 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 be- beautiful, incredible human beings that, oh my gosh, amazing that they were able to maintain that commitment to one another for the duration. But what they taught me about, you know, being a human being is that being a free spirit is they encouraged that. So what I've learned through my through Svadhyaya is that there's something within this this idea of like the constructs that have been put into place in our current accepted culture, whether that be religious, social, cultural, or whatever, that I constantly try to adhere myself to. But often we'll find that there are places within those that don't work for me and I have to renegotiate them. And in my belief system, whoever has come into relationship with me in that way that we might be working that out together, because it's not just me, it often is them as well, you know, that we have that in yoga, the word karma to do that together. 
So it's one of those things of trusting myself. Like, yeah, looking back, it looks like a total whatever. It looks like it looked, you know, which was a lot. <laughs> but instead of looking back and saying, oh my gosh, wow, that, whoa, you know, no, mm -mm. no, that's okay. Like, all right, so that's where I'm at. And who knows where I'll be tomorrow? You you see what I'm saying? So for me, it's about communicating to the people in the in my life to the best of my ability, who I am and how I move and giving them the free, this is part of it, giving them the freedom and permission to move as they need to as well, which is something that pe makes people really uncomfortable, actually. <laughs> right, because completely they, that permission I imagine would be received in a, in a way sometimes it would require taking a step back and realizing, wait a second, things don't have to be this way or things might not be this way. And I get to be an active participant in this. Well, what do I really, how do I really feel about that? And it takes that it drives internal reflection that is so easy to, to forget or so easy to not be tapped into. And so I, I imagine through all of these interactions you're having, you're enabling whether like forget the intentional teaching sessions, your interactions every day drive that inner knowingness of somebody else you're interacting with because you're, they're receiving that from you. Yeah. And Here's the thing that I'm really only starting to fully understand now, which is funny because looking back, it makes all the sense. And I think I've known, I've just not articulated it. So, and I was talking to one of my peers, right? So I have a gentleman that I work with. I've actually studied with him a little, but I also consider him to be a part of my peer group. He's, you know, his focus is like Norse shamanism and things of that nature. And that's like very connected to my bloodline sort of thing. And we were having a conversation about how we have a tendency to be, what's the word? We're very activating. Just our, just my presence can be very activating for people. Like sometimes it can activate them to feel like really safe, depending on what's going on with them. My husband and I, he, this, this term comes from, I learned it from him, the entourage effect, but it's from something completely different. But it's basically when the elements of separate things come together and make something completely different, right? That enhances or brings out amplification of both things. I definitely am one of those people, even for the people that I love the most. And I have people in my life that act this, who act as this kind of growth opportunity for me as well. But I like me just being me can be highly activating. I just, you know, because I'm just so the way I am. And there's a lot more to that that I don't know how to articulate right now, but it ultimately is what I'm carrying. You know, we all have this energetic imprint, you know, that we're and, and frequency that we're emanating, you know, and mine is designed. Literally, I have custom designed it and put intent over the last 25 years to create it as this container that produces healing 
Right. That brings all the nastiness up to the surface. Let's see it. Let's look at it. Let's experience it and let's get it out. So you could imagine that sometimes what I'm playing out with people, what I always tell people is it nothing is ever as it seems. It's not. And if you read stories about people who feel that call to to be responsible to a community or to a family or to whatever as a healing facilitator in some way, shape or form. A lot of times it I mean, it's just what it elicits. Mm -hmm. It's just part of the deal. You know, if there's a tool to get something done, more than likely you're going to find a job that you need to do it for, for lack of a better term. No, I love it. And it sounds like that, you know, going back to what we started talking about, that energy has always been there. And over time, you've sort of chipped away at it, not in a sense of leaving pieces behind, but more so smoothing out the rough edges. But you're still left with this immense energy. And it's also very focused and intentional. And so if, yeah, so that could come across in a way that's like, whoa, what is this? But sitting with that and learning it and building that relationship with you or experiencing time under tension with you turns into something, like you said, like the entourage effect, I imagine. That is such a good way to put it. I am going to write that down. Time under tension. <laughs> I love that. That is Wow, that was brilliant. Ooh, That is so true because I know that experience for myself. You know what I mean? Like some of the most uncomfortable times in, you know, my initiatory process. Talk about time under tension. Oh my gosh. You know, it's like the sand that makes the pearl. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about receiving these messages and you've used the word guides in the past, can you explain a little bit more about what that means and are they different for everybody or like... How does that all work? Ah, that's such a good, okay. So it's gonna, okay. So I'm gonna tell you the truth about how I see it. I truly believe that we are like able to do a choose your own adventure. A hundred percent. It's literally any way you want to index it, any way you want to choose to approach it, any way you want to think about it. The most important thing is your imagination. That's it. Like, so when I talk about guides and things of that nature, you know, I, I have had for a very long time, something that I identify as a guide, but what I truly understand to be true is that it is just an aspect of myself that I have framed through my personal story that serves me so in, intentfully. But then there are times when that's not available to me. Like there's no access, you know what I mean? Mm. So if I think about my internal environment, you know, when I'm in meditation, when I'm doing journeying work, when I'm doing distant healing work, when I'm doing psychic surgery, when I'm doing, you know, blessing someone's land or removing some or renegotiating some energy with something going on. You know what I mean? All these things is when I'm really in it, you know, Uh, I have learned that like those pieces can sometimes show up to support me when I'm feeling wobbly 
about understanding how to maneuver. Because here's the thing, the answers to all the questions that I have are readily accessible in the collective conscience. But how do I access it? And this is just how I think about it now. Had you asked me this question five years ago, it probably would have been a lot more flowery. But at this point, I've become much more, just because this is how I experience it, I don't think that that necessarily is how anyone else is going to experience. I have no idea. You know what I mean? But what I do encourage people to do is let your imagination run wild because I, from my own experience, I can just say that the most profound messages or knowings, and that's even a better way to say it, honestly, messages is something that other people can really understand, but I've been moving more towards describing it as a knowing. It's something that whether or not someone agrees with me or whatever, it can't be argued. I just know it to be true for myself. And that's all I need to know. So, you know, that's a pretty vague answer, but I mean, my internal environment has looked, you know, like Disney World all the way to sitting in complete darkness with nothing. And anywhere in between, depending on what I needed at any given time to move me through whatever I was being faced with or whatever I was co-journeying with someone else around and that sort of thing. So I don't know if that answers your question, but. No, I think it definitely provides context. And and I think the subject matter, like you said, would be with words and language described differently for everybody, but it comes back to that knowing of the self and that internal alignment. And from that, you're able to have the brain space to receive those knowings of this is the obvious next step, whether you know somebody might perceive it to come from somewhere or something else, or whether somebody might perceive it to come from their heart, them, um, it, it would all be the same thing. We're just using different words to describe these things. Essentially, yeah. I mean, and to go back to the idea, you know, to talk about yoga, to me that, okay, so the way I talk to students about things like this and like about Reiki, that's another great example. These are collective consciousness constructs. They're literally programs that have been overlaid, that have been you know, designed, developed, cultivated, invested in, experimented with, right, for thousands of years. But somebody, somebody decided that that's what was going to happen. You see what I'm saying? Like somebody channeled that. Somebody brought that through. Reiki, the perfect story. Like someone channeled that knowing. And what is that? In my mind, that's creativity. That's being willing to be receptive and know that like all of these, you know, innumerable possibilities in creation that we can be a part of bringing forward as a conduit, right? Like at any given time, that could look different. You know what I'm saying? So it's just very interesting to me, that whole mm-hmm. thing. And the, the constructs help us to orient ourselves. So when people go into yoga or they go into Reiki or they go into Buddhism or they go into whatever, it gives them some discipline, some constructs, something to work within that they can relate to and sort of like move against and kind of, you know, reflect upon. And it's very supportive. But at the end of the day, it's going to be what you know to be true about yourself. 
and that's it. Right. And in my mind, the construct is we have a creator, the Holy Spirit lives within us. And, you know, we have, in my case, I'm of the belief system that, you know, Jesus Christ died for me, his Holy Spirit lives within me. And that's where that knowing comes from. Mm-hmm. However, that construct is still remains true in the sense of that inner knowing energy. Definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, and the teachings of Jesus. I mean, he's a right. perfect teacher of the actual, like what I mean, I totally relate to that, even though I'm not like, I wouldn't consider myself to be like a Christian necessarily, because I am interested in all these other things. So I couldn't be considered that, right? But I definitely honor, respect, and revere the teachings because he was a spiritual teacher, but some of the ways that it's been, you know, kind of- The essence of the teachings are strong, you know? Right. And that goes back to a little bit of, in my mind, we're we're about to go off the deep end a little bit and just tell me if you have a a Let's go. Let's do it. I'm for it. (laughs) In my mind, like all of the things can be true. However, what I experience in like organized religion puts up boundaries to those things, or maybe like a resistance to some of those things. And so I've talked with my mom about this on multiple occasions, but when some, when the discussion of creation, the world being created in seven days or whatever, my mom was like, well, maybe those seven days weren't seven 24 hour days. Who are we to know that? Right? Like we'll find out one day and I'm so excited to die. Like, that sounds morbid, but oh, I can't wait. Like I'm ready to go tomorrow. Now I, as like, I have a dog and I have a husband, like there are some things that I know that, you know, I don't want to leave immediately, but when it comes to just myself and the idea of death, like I'm so excited to just experience heaven and gain all of that knowing that we get little bits and pieces of here. And depending on how tapped in you are connected you are those little bits and pieces are you know shooting stars versus like maybe there's some clouds in the sky and you can't see anything so I guess going in that direction can you comment a little bit on maybe the idea of death and fear and rebirth sure yeah I love talking I mean it's so funny because some I've you know through the the time that I've been doing what I've been doing, I've had students and friends ask me to do many things for them. Be there for the birth of their babies, be there to marry them, do all of these really intimate, like major life situations, right? The only, and I've also been blessed, which this is my favorite one. I don't actually like being at births. It makes me uncomfortable. But what I do, I do love being a part of people dropping the body. I love it. I love it. I am very comfortable with it. I don't love any kind of suffering or anything like that. I don't mean that. I just mean that there's a level of liberation that I know to be true for myself, my own personal knowing that the physical world and the physical body is definitely time under tension, right? And and so there's, I do, I personally have a belief that there is a release and relief 
of dropping that gross physical. When I say gross, I don't mean ew. I just mean like material wise, you know, it's very heavy. And so I think that I find that like when my dad passed, I mean, I've always had a good relationship with him. You know, we're always very close and miss him, his physical form. But boy, do I feel him with me all the time. Like, and I have, you know what I mean? And so I've had these personal experiences of being around while people are transitioning, having people in my own life transition. And I'm never sad. And people have a hard time. I've actually had people tell me like, I think that there might be something wrong with you. You might be like heartless or, you know, emotionless. I'm like, no, I just have a different way of being in relationship to this experience. That's just how I'm wired, you know? So. Yeah, I completely resonate with that. And it's almost to the point where, you know, you shouldn't, I hate that word. I'm just like you, like I catch myself using the S word. I'm like, "Mm -mm," like get it out. But yeah, mostly at work, like, well, they should have done this. I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, we are where we are moving on. Anyway, um, it almost gets to the point where you might as well stay on the side of like being silent in, Mm. in an attempt to not like hurt somebody's feelings. Right. Because it, I, like you said, have a different relationship with it in my brain of like what death is, what that means, all of that. And like, of course it's a sad loss. You don't have that physical energy person, personality relationship here with you anymore, the way that you did for so long. Um, but it's such a release and a, a wonderful experience, you know, for that, for that soul in my mind. So I don't know. I, I approach death as like, Oh, that's so exciting for them, you know, which is completely insensitive. And I don't know. It's really, I've, I, you know, as you get older, just as more time passes, you know, more people who die. That's just how the world works. And so figuring out how to socially acceptably navigate that as something I'm sort of, you know, trying to figure out in my brain. I understand that a hundred percent. I mean, yeah, it can be tricky. It's, it's, I will say though, the one thing that comes to mind for me, and this is probably because I've been cultivating this intention in my life for 25 years. So the people that I, and the circles that I surround myself with by and large, now there are some environments that are a little bit more extreme as far as contrast to how I move and what the, you know, fundamental sort of understandable ways that people move in that environment might be somewhat diametrically opposed. For example, being in an MBA program, probably not a ton of people like me, but, you know, maybe there is, right? But what I've learned to do is kind of do that step forward, step back piece just gauge and notice. And because I tend to be an activator, I don't mind kerfluffling feathers just a touch, not out of trying to, but just being authentic. If I'm being authentic and I'm being intentional about how I'm communicating, then I feel like I've, 
you know, then I'm being sensitive to people wherever they are, you know, and still honoring myself. And then with those who I'm mostly surrounded with, I can just be totally transparent with. And that's, I would say, 99% of the people in my everyday life and my life in general. I love it. I love it. That's so encouraging. I guess uh, there's a, a little bit of an age difference between us and just knowing that that like stones that grind against each other and start to smooth out that, you know, smooth sailing ahead for me. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, you attract who you are, period. And in my opinion, right, I attract who I am and not that everyone is the same as me, but I attract people who are tuned to a similar frequency might not be the exact same one, but we're in the same range. Right. And so, and the more I dedicate myself to, you know, spending time with people that I feel a hundred percent comfortable with, it's just improved. And now it's like, you can almost drop me anywhere and I can get to feel uncomfortable or get to feel comfortable. I might be uncomfortable at first, but I'll just be like, okay, I'm uncomfortable. Everybody I'm uncomfortable. And then I'll get comfortable, you know? Right. And it's sort of that, oh, I, I lost my train of thought, but, oh, I can't remember. It's gone. But yes, that makes complete sense. It'll come um, back. Oh, the, nope, it's gone again. It'll come back. But I guess like wrapping up, one question that I ask all my guests is, if money was no object, what would your perfect day look like? I mean... I live it every day. I get up when I want the majority of the time, unless I've made a commitment to one of my cohort members to get up at six, eight, you know, five 30. So I can meet at six, but I get up when I want. I'm on my own schedule. I make my own agenda. I spend time with the people I choose to spend my time with. I spend time in environments that I choose to spend my time in. And so at this point, I'm living every day exactly the way that I want to. And if I'm not, I'm making changes to make sure that I am. And that's a reflection of that internal alignment and constantly cleaning the pipes or checking for anything out of sorts and coming back to that. So that's amazing. A, A testament of, you know, everything we've just talked about, you're living it. You're not, we're not just talking about it. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. It's not that I don't, you know, don't misunderstand me and think that like, oh, I have it all together and I'm all peaceful all the time. Not at all. I'm a, I'm a hot mess, just like everybody else. I just like to remind people of that. And I do like to show it on purpose on occasion so that people don't get confused that just because it looks like I have it together, it's a false you know, anytime we think that about anybody, you know, so it's like, it's always a work in progress, but it has everything to do with how we choose. Right. And that's what I was, I, the train of thought has come back to me, but going back to reflecting and the energy that you carry is reflected back to you. And so even on a micro level, if you're having a bad day or in a bad attitude, you're going to see that and you're going to find it. And it's sometimes harder than others to snap back out of it and say, hold on a second. 
I got to find something to be grateful for. I have to see the other side of the story. Maybe this person, whatever. And that's sort of like micro check-ins to that larger idea of that alignment, I feel like. I agree. Absolutely. Like I said, it takes courage, you know. I spend a lot of time alone. I need to, you know, it's just what I need. So I've also, you know, learned that. Has that changed for you over time? Yeah, I think that when I started, you know, doing yoga training and going really deep into the healing facilitation side of things and, you know, taking that role extraordinarily seriously. Yeah, because I just don't have, I, I, I don't choose to bring my attention to a lot of things. And there's not a lot there. It's not a compromise situation. It's not like, well, no, it's just like, mm -mm, that's a, that's a hard no. If it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. I love it. Is there any other mantra that you carry with yourself on a daily basis to sort of, you know, recenter, um, or just like a phrase that always comes back to you mm. other than what you just said about yes versus no. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. The, it's a hell yes or a hell no, you know? I would say, hmm, that's a good question. Let me sit with it just for a second. Let's see what, if anything comes up. Be obedient. That's, that's really my mantra is like, take notice, pay attention, trust yourself. Definitely trust yourself. I say a lot. It's okay. It's going to be okay. <laughs> I say that all the time. I'm like, it's going to be okay. You're fine. Everything's okay. Just keep going. You got this. So I think a lot of it is just, yeah, I, I do think that the, if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no is a good one to live by. But other than that, we will end with obedience. Obedience. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Sure. Thank you Encourage. so much. Yes. And trust. <laughs> Courage, trust, <laughs> all these things, right? Sounds so easy, but that's okay. That's what we're here for is to help each other out. So awesome. Thank you so much. This has All been right. amazing. I so appreciate you asking me to come on and having interest in what it is that I have to say and, you know, what I've been up to. And I just so appreciate you. And thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. My cheeks hurt from smiling for the last hour and a half, but it's all good. I can't believe it's been that. <laughs> I know. Hey, time is a construct. Exactly. And with that, I'll stop recording. <laughs>